that if uh, if little dude was playing in the Super Bowl, he could definitely run past Taylor Swift. Uh, she she's a quarterback, right? Like I don't follow football. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, let's uh, let's pray in preparation for the message this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, I pray that you would be with me. I I you know. Um, you know what what everybody needs to hear this morning. You know what your voice uh, has for folks. What your spirit is is gonna gonna speak into our hearts, Lord. And I pray um, that I wouldn't get in the way of that. And I pray that you would help me to be uh, faithful in in uh, following your prompting and and unpacking what your word has to say. Help me to um, help me to to help me to submit to Christ in everything I do in, in sharing the gospel this morning. And, and I pray that folks would hear from you and, and that they would submit to Christ as well um, as they hear the gospel. Um, I, in Christ's name, amen. I just remembered, sorry, I had a moment of forgetting. Uh, Kay, whose little guy was, uh, she, her husband is in the hospital. He has uh, cardiac issues. He's a pretty young guy. Uh, I don't know anything more than that. I just kind of got it secondhand. And we, it didn't make it into prayer. And so uh, if we could take a quick second, we're going to pray for uh, Kay's husband, who I know. It's Ben, right? Yes. Uh, that was inappropriate. Sorry. Uh, it was a very serious moment, and I just never remember names. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with, uh, with Ben. I pray that you would uh, keep him safe. I pray that you would be with the doctors, help them to, to touch him and, and, and uh, heal him and, and bring him through whatever this is. I pray, Lord God, that you would give, uh, give, give him, give his family peace as they, uh, as, they, as they sort of go through this time. I, I pray, Lord God, that your spirit would just be in every aspect of it um, and, and that through this time they would draw closer to you. In Christ's name, amen. Um, so I, uh, I'm going to give you a moment of insider baseball for how I uh, tend to write sermons. I actually do write sermons no matter what anybody thinks. Uh, I don't write them out, but generally I have a pretty good idea what I'm going to say before I get up here. Um, introductions almost never. I've tried and tried and tried. I cannot come up with an introduction before uh, Sunday morning to save my life. And there are days I come up here and like have it like on the way up. It comes to me. Like, I, I try and like I think it's just one of those things that uh, I hope is a gift from God. Like that, you know, this is this is just what I get to endure. Um, and, and I pray a lot about that and I worry and I wrestle because I don't want to, I don't want to do Eric stuff. I want to do Jesus stuff. Okay. And so I, I say this, like, um, I'm going to talk a little bit this morning. This is, is resistant to this approach. So, uh, be aware. This is me trying to be faithful. Um, when I was in college, I had a good friend. I have actually, we're still friends. Uh, guy's name is Tom, Tom Holstey. And we still talk. Uh, we still trade messages on Facebook. We're, he was actually in our wedding. He was, he was the best man. Uh, and Tom, he lives out in Chicago, actually in Indiana now. He lived in Chicago while we were in uh, Indiana. And, and we, I mean, known the guy for 20-some-odd uh, years, like 27 years. One of my best friends. Uh, even one of those guys that you don't even have to talk to every day and you're still friends. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and Tom, one morning, and I don't remember where we were going, uh, or what we were doing, but it was Chicago, and it was cold because, you know, Chicago has two seasons, cold and crime. Uh, and, and I don't, 
Sorry. I, <laughs> we were on our way somewhere, and it was, it was early in the morning, and the wind, you know, like how it'll, it'll like, because it's wet there because of the lake and the lake effect that runs over, and the frost gets on everything, and overnight it all freezes. And when you come out in the morning, and I remember driving with him, and he pointed out, like, the trees, you know how they get the frost layer on them? And they just look breathtaking. And, and Tom pointed out to me, uh, he says, Eric, I think that God is probably the, the most amazing and ultimate artist because he painted the whole world for us to see his glory this morning. And in an hour or two, it's all going to melt away when the sun comes out. And, and he does it with the sunrise. You know, he paints out, you know, the, paints out like these beautiful masterpieces and then they're just gone. And, and he does it new every day because God is amazing. And you can't capture those things is the craziest thing. My, my daughter will stop and take pictures of the sunrise if she's up that early. It's not very often. It's mainly in late December. Uh, but she'll take pictures. And I try to explain to her, you could take all the pictures in the world, um, unless, unless you're Craig Edwards, and maybe not even then, you'll never really capture it right. Right? Like it'll never do it justice. And, and I'm sharing this. As I was driving last week, I was in uh, the mountains. I was, I was going through Helena uh, or into Helena. I don't remember. I don't know. It was a long drive. Uh, I'm going through the mountains, and it's snowing like crazy, and I'm stuck behind this guy, and I'm, I'm you know, praying and listening to a C.S. Lewis audio book and looking up at the trees, you know. And, like, have you guys ever driven through the mountains over there uh, when it's, you know, when it's snowing, like the, the – Pine trees just collect snow in the most gorgeous way. And, and again, unless you're Craig or maybe Bob Ross or someone, like you're not going to nail it. Um, but I'm looking at them and thinking, man, like God does beautiful things and you can't save them. They just, they go, right? Like that's it. And, you know, it was, there was freezing fog and that was up behind it and it made it even more gorgeous. You can't see all of it. You can't save it. You can't anything. It's just passing. And that's one of the great blessings that God gives us in this world, we get these days, we get these times where we get to see beautiful things, and we get to enjoy the world that we have, we get to enjoy our kids. My little girl is 13, and I, I can't stop thinking about how she was that big, you know, and I got to enjoy it, and I get to enjoy this, and I'll get to enjoy the next part, and it'll all pass by. Um, we've been talking about sojourners, and uh, the idea of, of not... Not being in, like, like in the scripture, sojourning is a recurring theme. Uh, and, and we see where uh, all of the early church, like early Jewish fathers, right, they were, they were living in a land that was not theirs. It was promised to them. It would be theirs one day, but it wasn't theirs. And so Abraham lived in a place that wasn't his. And Isaac lived in a land that was his, but not his yet. And so forth, like all of them. And even after, like we've been sort of following the book of Psalms, Psalm 105, and this like celebration of the day that God made Israel into their homeland. And now it's their land. And like, like, and they're singing and they're celebrating because they were sojourners. And now it's our land. And the amazing thing, and I read this, and my brain keeps going back to it. And I realized, oh, this is what I have to talk about. Um, they... For, for centuries after, the rabbis would teach, we are not, this is our land, this is our home, but it's not our land, that's not our home, we're sojourners forever, because we're only here for a little while. It's God's land, he'll be here after we're gone. 
He was here before we were born. He decided to give it to Abraham. He decided to take it away during the exile. That is it. We pass through, and we get to enjoy it, and God blesses us, and then we go and we live with him in eternity, and it's wonderful. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, as we dive into our text today, we're going to talk about Isaac, and, and we're going to talk about this idea that Isaac was a sojourner too, and he experienced a little different version of it. Um, and and we'll, 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 my illustration will make sense here in a minute. Um, again, sojourning in the Bible, there's this idea with the Old Testament, they were always traveling. This, this is not our home, but it will be. And then later it was this world, or this, this is our home, but we're really only here for a little while because it's God's. And then for us as believers, we're brought to this place where we understand that this world is just not our home. Jesus at his trial said things like, my kingdom isn't of this world. You know, if it was, then it would be different. But this is not my home. This is not my kingdom. My kingdom is elsewhere. And we're adopted into that family, and this world isn't our home. We live our lives... um, Sometimes I think in our culture we live our lives pretending this world is our home and trying to believe it. Trying to think that we can stay young forever or live forever. We can't. Just can't do it. We're sojourners. And, you know, it's a scary thing until you realize that if you trust in God's promises, if you trust them, you know, and you know that Christ died for you, that there's a resurrection, that there'll be a recreation, nobody's gone. The sojourners that go home before we do, we'll meet them. They were a little bit of frost in the world around us, and we got to marvel and enjoy the beauty of it, and now it's gone. Right? We get to enjoy it again later. There's a blessing while we had it. Um, God promised Abraham quite a bit. He promised him a land and descendants and more than the stars in the sky and the grains of sand on the beach and all of this other. I mean, like, promised him so much and abraham had to wait for it and he traveled and as an old man he lived in a tent i don't like living in a tent as a young man like i i'll go to family camp i'll enjoy it my allergies will act up i'll sleep on the ground my back will hurt i'll fall out of a hammock whatever break my hand (laughs) but fortunately that's a thing that passes by um, and so Abraham lived in the land and he traveled and, and everything else and all the way, like all the way pointing forward to the day that it would be their, their land. And even then it was always pointing forward to the coming of Christ and our eternity with God, right? Like that's what the whole story is about. And it's always pointing forward to Jesus, pointing forward to Jesus, pointing forward to Jesus. And so like as we dive into our text, um, last time I preached was two weeks ago. Uh, we talked about Isaac and the famine, how when there's this famine, you know, every one of the, four, the, the forefathers, the patriarchs, um, had, to, like, had a famine in their lifetime. Um, every other one got to go to Egypt where there was a lot of water. And they got to live in a foreign land where there was a lot of water. And it was like abundant and it was comfortable. Um, Isaac, God says, yeah, you don't get to leave. You get to stay. You're going to stay in the dry land. You're going to stay in the famine. And Isaac goes and he lives right on the edge of the promised land, actually probably just beyond it amongst the Philistines. And he lives 
through the famine. He's the only one that has to do that. Isn't that crazy? And you've got to think Isaac was like, well, thanks, God. Thanks a lot, right? And I, I couldn't escape the fact, like, like Isaac, if you look at him from the beginning of the story to the end, Isaac changes. And I think there's something to that because I think the times of famine and the times of shortfall and the times where you look around and you wonder, where is God? Why are things this way? Um, they grow you. And I think we're going to see that in Isaac, and that's what we're going to chase after today. Um, so a real quick note on the structure of this text. There's a lot to it. I really wanted to dig into it, but I'm not going to because there's no time. Um, the text itself, chapter 26, opens with Isaac lying about his wife being his sister, right? And uh, he says, well, this is my sister, because he's afraid the Philistines are going to murder him to take his wife, which is justifiable. It did happen in the ancient world. And when the king of the Philistines catches Isaac with his wife fooling around, um, not like that, but, you know, making out or whatever, uh, he's like, wait a minute, why did you say she was your sister? You know, this isn't the south of Israel. Why would you, you know, and he's like, all right, look, I was afraid you guys would kill me. And he lectures him. Look, we wouldn't have killed you. But he was afraid because Isaac was, number one, he didn't trust God very much at that time. So he lied. And number two, he was kind of weak. He didn't have an army. He couldn't fight the Philistines. He was there living amongst them at their mercy. And so it starts there. And actually, the text, it's a promise from God, a lecture from the king, and then you have all of this stuff that happens in the middle, and then it is the promise from God and a lecture from the king. And so this is a bookended chapter. And the structure emphasizes the change that Isaac goes through. He experiences the desert. He experiences the difficulty of being where he's at, and it grows him. And so that's the structure. We're not going to any more than that. All right, so we're going to pick up in chapter 26, and I am already too far in. I took way too much time with the introduction. Not sorry, Um, but we'll come back to some of that later. Uh, Genesis 26, if you want to follow along in your own Bible. I'm not putting the text on the stream. Screen. Of course, now I can't turn pages. And I put my bookmark in the wrong place. I just realized. What the heck is wrong with me today? Um, 26. And we are going to do 12 to 16 here. So, uh, so, and again, like six, so the, the previous 11 verses are God promising everything to Isaac and basically saying, Isaac, I'm promising this to you because I promised it to your dad. You're the son of that promise. That promise transfers to you like it's going to transfer to every one of your descendants. This is it. And like that promise is fulfilled in Christ. And then um, we are beneficiaries of that. Um, and then he has the marriage thing that is a weird story, um, but sort of illustrates what's wrong with it, you know, like Isaac's weakness. And then we pick up in 12. And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. And the man became rich, and he gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled the, with earth all of the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So our first um, shift here is, despite the fact despite the fact that there is a famine, 
and everyone is poor, right? Isaac gets rich. If he puts one seed in the ground, he gets 100 back. I don't know how that works out in farm math. I'm assuming it's a lot, right? Like he is, he is getting a lot. Isaac is also the only one of the patriarchs who is recorded as planting and farming, by the way. So we should like this guy. He's the one who lived the longest, but he's the shortest story in the Bible. Crazy, right? So he plants, and he's got herds and everything, and everything the guy touches turns to gold, right? Mind you, he came to this place. He's not in the promised land anymore. He's amongst the Philistines. He came to this place saying, oh, man, this is dangerous, and he lies because he's like, well, God won't protect me, even though God told him to go. I mean, it's a whole thing. Um, so he, he's obedient, but he's fearful. And we talked about that last time. And now God shows up and God shows up big, even though he's afraid, even though he kind of drops the ball, God shows up in a huge way and blesses him and then blesses him and blesses him and blesses him. And finally, he's so wealthy that he goes from, I'm afraid of you people to them saying, yeah, dude, you got to get out of here. Like you're, you cannot stay here. There's too many of you. Right, And this is a real fear. Um, you see this in, amongst the Egyptians. There are actually quite a few instances in ancient history where a people group will move in and suddenly explode in population or power. And you're like, yeah, I don't know that I want those guys here. Right? Like, like maybe, maybe you guys should move somewhere else because we don't want you to take our country over. And, you know, sometimes you'd enslave them or just kill them or whatever. And they did a mix of passive-aggressive. They went to all of his wells. By the way, the wells that his father dug. So they are his wells. But whose land are they in? Someone else's land. If I go dig a well on the Durgis property, whose well is it? It ain't mine. <laughs> right? Um, and so he digs this. In fact, actually, if I dig a well in my property, in theory, it could belong to this town. Like if I don't mineral rights, isn't that a thing? Or a mine? I don't know. Whatever. Um, so... They stop up his wells, so suddenly he doesn't have water for his animals. And the king comes, and he's like, yeah, dude, get out of here. Leave. We can't deal with you. You're scary. Go. And so he goes. He agrees to go. And you know what's kind of cool about that is he didn't have to. The cool thing about having being the biggest guy in the room is you don't have to do what anybody says, right? But he does. He is powerful but he's meek, and this is going to be a recurring theme. The other thing I want to point out here is, for whatever reason, Isaac has water and wells mentioned in association with his name more times than, like, anybody else in the Bible. Um, and, and in this account, like, it's like 12 times or something in his lifetime here in Genesis, like, like wells or, or water being drawn out of the ground. And I think that's significant. Why? Because I think in a dry land, in a in a dusty place, in a place where it doesn't rain, Isaac was the guy who drew water out of nothing. Right? Now, Mark and I talked about this a couple weeks ago, and this has been a rattling around in my head. One of the things I've realized in relation to Isaac is we go through dry times. God sometimes tells us, you may not go where it's easy. You must stay where it's hard. Sometimes we lose things. Sometimes we get sick. Sometimes we hurt. Sometimes we're afraid. We go through these things, and we go through them because if we find water when it's dry, where'd it come from? It had to come from God, right? If in the middle of a famine, the guy's pulling a hundredfold, a hundredfold yield out of the ground, where's that coming from? I mean, because Isaac's a great farmer. 
It's because God is amazing. And as we go through anything, God blesses us. And if he allows us to suffer, then the yield we experience isn't necessarily in our wallet. It's not necessarily in the population of our family or whatever else. Like the yield we experience is in Christ, right? Because that's what God told Abraham, right? I'm the treasure you're after. I'm the real reward. We desire Christ. We pursue Christ. We want nothing more than Christ. And that's what we receive. And actually, it's what our eternal reward is, right? That's where we're going. When we melt off the branches one day and our moment has passed, we'll stand before God. This is uh, actually had a map. And I thought this was cool because uh, a little bit of perspective here. Um, so Isaac moves, basically. I don't think I read the whole verse, did I? I got sidetracked. I'm sorry. Let me finish reading the verse so you got it. Oh, nope. I read the whole thing. Um, oh, man. I thought this was going to be a pretty solid, like, aha. I even have my laser pointer. This is Lita gave this to me. I, I think it's actually a cat toy. but uh, So Gerar is here. This is the city where he goes. This is Philistia. So he's well within their territory. And he is about to go, and he's going to hang out in this valley right here. This is the mountain line that runs down the city. Uh, the middle of the country, like the spine there and um, up on this side, and there's the Dead Sea, which is dead. Uh, and most of this story is going to take place right here. And when he gets to Beersheba, he's more or less home, back in the Promised Land. Um, Abraham named it. But just so you have a little perspective, this is where it's taking place, right? It's not a big area. This is, you know, you're talking about less, you know, maybe 100 miles of space. Like, it's not big. Um, or less, maybe. I don't know. Geography is not my thing. Uh, so Isaac goes and he resettles. So we read verse 26, 17 to 22. I will uh, do my best to move here. Uh, so Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines had stopped up after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. Uh, let's go all the way to the end, and I'll, I'll dig through it then. Um, but when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he named uh, so he called the name of the well Essek, because they contended with him. And then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called it Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Now, number one, he's already fruitful. Everybody got that? Dude's rich, but he's still acknowledging this is from God. That is like the bottom line for him. Now, so he goes and he redigs these wells. There are three ways that wells happened in ancient Israel, right? You would have um, cisterns, which is like where you would cut a giant hunk out of a rock, like a big square space, and then you would plaster it over and you would divert all the water you could find into it and store it. We call those, what are those? Cisterns. There you go. Uh, (laughs) 
But these were underground because it was so incredibly hot, the water would just evaporate away. But they were kind of underground, right? And so they're probably digging these up. They're probably also, most wells were where you would go to a dry spring, you know, a dry uh, riverbed called a wadi is the word. I don't know what language it is. And you would dig it out and you would find the mud and you would do your best to draw the water out of the mud. It is really dry there, okay? So he has a spring and he's got another well, and they keep pushing him back off of it. But who dug the wells in the first place? His dad did. So whose wells are they? They ain't his wells, because he's not in his land. He's traveling through. None of it belongs to him. Got it? And here again is the world we live in, right? And this is a crazy idea, but, but follow me. We live here as long as we live here, but we're just renting space. I'm, I'm going to go home and be with Jesus one day. If I pile up an enormous fortune, you know, who's, I, I ain't taking it with me, right? Or moth and rust will destroy it. Like none of that stuff, none of it counts. The only thing I take with me is Christ's righteousness or God's judgment. And so this well, which by all rights should be his, isn't his. And it's taken from him. And instead of fighting, and it's been made clear, he could fight. He could beat these guys up like he's got a huge collection of guys. I mean, he could really just capture this stuff and take it. But he doesn't. He walks away. And he walks away. They're like, oh, my gosh, he's got a spring, spring water, water that's coming out of the ground forever. We don't have to wait for it to rain or dig a cistern or anything else. There's just water there. We want it. Did they have real claim on it? No, not really. They sort of did. I mean, you could say, well, this is our land. You're a guest here. We're taking it. But it's pretty unfair. And in the end, he said, look, God gave me the well. I'll go find another one. And what does he do? Goes and finds another one. And then they're like, well, we want that well too. And he's like, fine, I'll go find another one. And he goes and finds another one. Why? Because he's not really good at finding water. He's really good at belonging to God. And God is really good. That's where it all comes out. And I think one of the ideas, I, I read a lot, of, a lot of authors who argued that, like, all of this water stuff, there's like a whole Jesus thing in it. And I think you can see the joy and happiness and peace that somebody has in Christ, and you, you can't take it, right? You can torture them, and you can't take it. You can take, you know, you can take things from them, and you can't take that joy in Christ away. You ultimately can never take Christ from someone. Like, and we cannot be taken from Christ. He actually says, you know, like uh, uh, Paul says, I'm convinced that neither height nor depth nor angels nor demons nor any power in heaven or hell could take us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Like we cannot be taken from him. We belong to him. And so he'll just move on and get more water somewhere else because God's going to provide it. And so it is with Christ. You will never run out of his forgiveness. You will never run out of his grace. When you're driving, honestly, this is where I, how I got here. Honestly, I was driving through the mountains, and I was, I was like, I'm, I, I, my dad died. Like, I'm, I'm, it's hard, and I love my dad, and I keep thinking I should call him, and I remember I can't, and it sucks. But dad's with Jesus. I look at the snow in the mountains driving home and say, dad was something that I got. For the season that he got to be in my life, and I was blessed. Here or gone, you can't take the love of Jesus away from me, or the joy that I have in the salvation that he enjoyed and that I get. 
that you have. The grace, new life, forgiveness. I'm sorry, I'm making it weird and uncomfortable. But the truth of it is that as much as, I mean, honestly, this feels like a desert time. It feels like a year of desert time. And if I go through this and I rely on God, he'll always dig a deeper well for me. And if I let him dig deeper, Christ will come out deeper in me. The same is true for you. Any hurt, any loss, any hardship, turn to Christ. That's all there is. That's it. And in hardship we grow. In hardship we expand. We become more. And he digs more wells and he moves and they fight and he continues. And eventually he gets to this point where he digs this well and nobody comes and bothers him. And he has had the strength to do something about it, mind you, every time. And I think the reason he didn't was because he knew it was not his land. This isn't my place. Why would I fight you? Why would I fight you? I'll go get it somewhere else. This world we live in isn't ours. Nothing in this world is worth fighting over. Right? I'll just go, you know, this Jesus will take care of me elsewhere. That's why uh, Christ talked about the idea of not resisting an evil man. Don't fight back. Well, why would I let somebody hit me? Well, Christ let people hit him. And I think the idea is you don't trade your witness for revenge. Seek revenge. He just goes, all right, see ya. God takes care of him. I'm not advocating pacifism. Don't hear me saying something I'm not. We almost never fight. We fight over dumb things, right? Insults, perceived hurt, possessions, esteem, whatever. I had a bad day and I'm going to be angry at you. Those are the things we fight over. None of that matters. Christ matters. And so he walks away in meekness. And he continues to sojourn. He continues to travel. He continues to move on. By the way, all of these promises are still on him. He's going to die having not received the promised land. He's going to die without more descendants than the grains of sand on the beach. And God still fulfills. Isn't that amazing? Because our God is so good, you can rely on him for anything. Water in the desert. Hope when we hurt. Everything. The interesting thing is when he finally gets to Beersheba, and he, or he digs this well, and then he goes to Beersheba. So he goes a little farther back to the promised land. But he names the well um, broad is actually the word. And it's interesting because a lot of times they're like, oh, well, he spread out so far they called it broad. Or there are variations of what they meant. The word is actually used in the Psalms a couple times. And like it's one of the Psalms is sung in Samuel. But it may, basically means God is giving me so much his provision is so great that it's never ending like his blessing can never run out it's like that first spring and like every water he found after he's lost you know his father's wells here his father's wells there his father's wells here and he gets there and he's like god is good look at how much he's given me and he just keeps giving me more i would be thinking man i'm sick of moving Like, man, those jerks made me come over here. No. Because the real treasure any of us would get would be Christ. Everything else is passing. Um, Let's see. I went through 22. Uh, We're going to do 23 to 25, which uh, is God kind of coming back to him. And here's the reason. Like, I was on the fence about doing this one, and I decided I would do it. just because, now this is cool, like it, it followed me, we'll, we'll read it and I'll explain, um, if I can find it again, uh, 23 
to 25. Um, from there, he went up to Beersheba, which I showed you on the map. And the Lord appeared to him that same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. Now, you remember here real quick, it's not because Abraham was so good. It's because God chose Abraham as his servant. That's it. Like, that's it. Like, God chose him. Abraham believed. It was credited to him as righteousness. He was good and holy because he believed God. That's it. Which, by the way, you want to, like, heaven, salvation, forgiveness, it is a product of faith in Christ, not earning it. You can never earn it. And so he is getting something because his father believed. That's it. And I think he believed. Why do I say that? Because he's kind of being obedient. He's being godly in the midst of all of it. Um, so he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. <laughs> Yet another well. So what's up with that end? First off, it's a bookend. God promises. God reminds. But the other thing is Isaac's tired probably by this point. Most scholars agree at this point he's probably discouraged. He's had to move over and over again, right? Like he's been pushed off of the work he's done. Um, he's still thanking God, but he's probably discouraged. And so God comes back and he reassures him. We see God do this with Abraham several times where Abraham's like, all right, God, where's his son? Come on. And he's like, well, I'll get the servant pregnant. There's my son. And he's like, nope, I promised what I promised. I'm going to come through. You don't have to play tricks. You don't have to do dumb stuff. I will come through, just trust me. Oh, well, what about this? No, I will come through, just trust me. These are my promises. I'll remind you what they are. Just keep trusting me. And so God comes to Isaac and says, here's what I promised. I'm doing it. Why is that important? Because sometimes in the midst of discouragement, do you all ever have like really just crummy, you know, garbage falling from the sky kind of rain? You know, and you're, you're there in it, and it's like, man, what's good anymore? If you stop thinking about what God has promised and you only pay attention to the rain, then, then you end up in a really bad spot. If you, if you drive in the mountains and all you see is the slippery road in front of you and you curse the fact that it's snowing and it's going to make it harder to get home and everything else, and you don't say, God has given me good things and I'm grateful. God has promised me eternity through Christ. God has forgiven me. He's made me new. Like if we don't remember Christ, if we don't remember his promises, if we don't remember what we're here for, where we're going, and why it's all happening, we'll become discouraged. And we'll forget and we'll wander off and the sun will burn us up like the plants with no roots, right? In the parable of the sower. Like, like we have to set our roots deep in Christ and find water deep down to feed us. And and it nourishes us. It brings us back to life. Christ and the promise of Christ and the repeated knowledge that Christ saves me is where we find hope. It's how we overcome doubt. It's water in the desert. And actually, like I keep thinking about um, Abraham, or, uh, Moses in Deuteronomy where he's preaching and he, he says, Listen, guys, you were in the desert and you were there and it was hard. And you were hungry, and God did that so that you would learn that you don't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And you were supposed to trust God. You were supposed to rely on him, and you complained instead. And, 
like it turned into a disaster. It's a whole other story. But the idea here being the water that quenches our thirst, the hope that we have in tomorrow, the thing that fills our souls is Christ. And as we travel the desert, as we're discouraged, as we're not sure what tomorrow is, as we cry or as we don't want to get out of bed in the morning or whatever, Christ is the reason of it. Go back to the promises. Go back to the blood shed for you. That's it. That's what you got. So how do we apply this? First off, the end here. I jump right into the application ahead of time. Sorry. Uh, God reminds Isaac at the end of our passage, um, this should serve as a guide for us as believers. Sometimes God will bless you by reminding you. I had a bunch of times where, uh, I don't know, I often, uh, both my parents have died here in the last five years, and I've often felt a lot of uh, regret. I've lived away from home for, I don't know, since I, my first year of college. After my first year of college, I moved out, and I really never went home. And I've often regretted the fact that I was far away, right? And I, that was weighing on me. I was sitting, and I was doing my, I have this devotion. Anyway, I was going through it, and I started reading about, like, the, the passage. I didn't pick it. It was just the next one. It was all about God's calling and how we're called to obey and to serve. And if God calls you to go and leave your family, that's what you do because that's God. And I found myself thinking, man, like, that's what I needed. Isn't that crazy? But you don't hear his voice like that generally every day. You hear it when you're hurting. And I realized, man, like, I was obedient. This is why I did this. Not because I'm good, but because God is really insistent. Um, we have to come back to his word. We have to listen for him when we're struggling. If we allow him to dig the wells in our heart, like for the living water to flow out the whole night, like if we allow him to work in us in hardship, if we trust in those promises, we never run out. We never end up hungry. We never end up thirsty because we're always satisfied with Christ. And so we should review his promises every day. We should go back and remember, I get out of bed because God gave me today. I can face tomorrow because he lives. Like all of it. Every day. I'm here because of Jesus. And one day I won't be, but then I'll be with him. Um, Isaac has, like, so Isaac's, uh, the, the next application moment, like, again, God has him go through this hard time. And I would argue that what we see in our story, so Isaac goes from this guy who lies about his wife to save his own skin because he doesn't trust God to, yeah, I'll walk away from the water in the desert. I'll trust God over and over and over and over again. How did he learn to trust God? By living in the desert. How do you learn to trust God? By going through hardship. How do you grow in your faith? Sometimes by testing, by difficulty. Why James tells us to consider it pure joy when we experience hardship of every kind because it draws us closer to Christ. Um, this, is what, this is what he has for us. This is why hardship is a blessing. Um, in hardship, we learn to trust God in a very different way. Uh, I was going to read the whole text, but I'm just going to tell you this. It's in 2 Corinthians. Paul is talking about, like, he's fighting with these super apostles, these guys who are like, we're the most spiritual, wonderful people ever. ever. And Paul says, you know what? I, I've done more than any of you. I know more. I, I could beat you on this level so well. But I'm going to tell you, like, like he starts talking about his, his blessings, and he, the blessing he talks about specifically is a vision he has of heaven. 
And he doesn't even say he had it. He said, a friend of mine had a vision where he saw heaven. And he, he saw things you couldn't describe and, and could never repeat and even put to words like, like it was amazing. But to keep him from becoming arrogant, he was given a thorn in his flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment him, to keep him humble. Don't you love stuff that keeps you humble? No. And he begs God to take it away over and over again. And finally God says, you know what, I ain't taking it. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made complete in your weakness. And what Paul realizes is, when I'm weak, I can't do it, and I've got to lean on him. Then I'm strong. When I'm in the desert and I can't find water, I have to ask him. When I'm dragging, when I'm fighting, when I'm hurting, I have to turn to him. Then I'm strong. Then I'm in Christ. Then it's Christ doing the work and not me. Finally, I would argue that where Isaac walked away from the wells over and over again, he spread water to people who didn't have it. And I think that's part of what we get, right? We have hope. We have Christ. We shine a light in a dark world. We, we have things that the world is dying for, but they don't understand it. And so everywhere we go, we spread the gospel. We spread the love of Christ. We give living water with our words and our actions and our attitude with everything, with our prayers. We are a light in the darkness. And I think that's what Isaac did. Isaac brought something into a dry place that wasn't there. And he blessed those people. What an amazing thing. And you could look at it and say, well, yeah, but he had to keep digging wells. Yeah, but God blessed him. And he was obedient. I'd rather be obedient and blessed and have lots of stuff and be out of God's will. My last thing here, I'm going to let you go. I, I uh, was doing my devotions this morning, and I came across this in George MacDonald. Uh, um, he was a heretic, I'm sorry. Uh, but C.S. Lewis loved him. And so I'm reading this book on C.S. Lewis and George MacDonald. And uh, this, this quote, That man is perfect in faith who can come to God in, in the utter dearth of his feelings and desires, without a glow or an aspiration, with the weight of low thoughts, failures, neglects, and wandering forgetfulness, and say to him, Thou art my refuge. The way that we have pure faith, perfected faith, is when we're low, when we're empty, when we're hopeless. We go to him and say, You are my refuge. You save me. You're my water in the desert. When I melt off the branch, I'll be with you. I'll see my father again. My dad's with my mom again. What a wonderful thing. We don't mourn like those who have no hope because we have a God who loves us. We don't suffer like those who have no hope because we have a God that takes care of us. And it's a glorious thing. Remember that as you're suffering through the Super Bowl. Let's pray. (laughs) Only Father... I I don't know. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would that you spoke through my ramblings today. I, I think I was all over the place and I, I I pray that your word found purchase and that it'll come back a hundredfold in the life of whoever it is that, that you choose to bless with it. I pray that, that in the hearts of all of us you would find wells that just pour out spring water. I pray that you would bring growth in, in our spiritual lives and in the 
the spreading of the gospel, that in everything we do, easy or hard, whatever, that we all, all of it's done to your glory, and that, that when we struggle, when we're weak, even when we're strong, that we would choose to let you do the heavy lifting and lean on you, because in you we are strong, because you're strong. In Christ's name, amen. Have a good Sunday, guys. Anybody think Taylor Swift will score any touchdowns? So many Taylor Swift jokes. I would really love to have.